Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hello, and thanks for listening. This is Daniel Strain, and I'm joined by co-hosts B.T. Newberg and Jay Forrest. Today's topic is humility and our claims. A look at how spiritual naturalists form beliefs and what role that plays in our spirituality. Later, we're going to have some news and announcements, so please stay tuned for that as well. Before we begin this topic, guys, I would like to just mention something about today's topic in particular and we're going to be talking about how we form beliefs. It's going to involve things like uh, skepticism, healthy skepticism. And I just, I personally would like to emphasize that this is one tiny little part of spiritual naturalism. And there's so much more that has to do with our practice and uh, the practices of many different kinds of traditions. And so I just like to kind of start off with a little disclaimer that a lot of naturalist groups, free thinkers, humanists, tend to dwell on this kind of topic a lot. And so here in our second episode, it's good that we address it because people are going to have questions about it. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. So uh, let me start with uh, you, BT. Um, what are your thoughts on this topic? Did you have anything right off the bat that you wanted to start off with? Well, yeah, first I think I want to frame it a little bit because humiliating our claims, what does that even mean? But I think the best phrase that I've heard for it is the way you've often described it as a humble approach to knowledge, a humble approach to knowledge. And that just really uh, encapsulates something really uh, meaningful to me. And I'll begin by saying in a short way, what I what that means to me, but then I want to actually just bounce it back to you because, as far as I know, you're the first one to to bring this phrase to our our uh, our society, our conversation. You came up with this phrase, and so in a moment I'm going to ask you why did you do that in the first place? Why, in fact, with the disclaimer that you just started off with, why are we talking about this at all? So let me just say just just in a very short way what I think it means to me, and I'm going to throw it back to you. So to me, a humble approach to knowledge. It's about having the humility to admit what we don't know, but also the courage to act on what we do know. So the humility to admit what we don't know means that when we're confronting evidence, we look at data, we look at you know what we can tell with our senses, with observation, with science, studies, research, and so on. And if we don't have a good answer, we don't go with our heart, we don't leap to conclusions we just say we don't know, and we're fine with that. But at the same time, we also have to have the courage to act on what we do know. For example, it's entirely possible that naturalism is completely wrong. Someday we could find out that there are supernatural beings out there. I don't know how we'd find that out, but it's possible, right? And at that point, we would have to give up our cherished beliefs, and we would just have to admit that and work from there. But we also have to look at probability. And right now, based on the current evidence that we have, the likelihood of that ever happening is very low. And so we have to also have the courage to act on what we do know. And what we do know is that a supernatural being being out there 
is just not very probable right now if we look at evidence, and we can just go ahead and live our lives like that with a reasonable amount of confidence. So that's what it means to me. Now I kind of want to know, why are we even talking about this in the first place? Why did you put this as sort of one of our keystones of our society? Yeah, you brought up a lot of great things I'd love to uh, come back on, but and I've taken notes on that, but um, just in the interest of diversity here, let me first ask Jay what he thinks of the topic. Well, I think when we begin to start talking about claims and humility, these are words that we use, but I don't think we really understand it. Unless you've studied logic, claim, what's a claim? What's a proposition? Well, it's a statement that's either true or false. The problem is there are very few statements that we can make that are certainly true or certainly false. And I think a lot of people are looking for that certainty, and that's why religion offers not certainty but certitude through a divine revelation or something of this nature because people want answers, and sometimes they'll take wrong answers over no answers. And I think one of the strengths of spiritual naturalism, to me anyway, is that we come at it and say we don't need to know. We, like uh, BT was explaining, we can be satisfied with not knowing. And that's huge when you're dealing with humility and claims because many people want to go the extra mile and be certain. This is the way it is, and they are dogmatic and Reality is this way, and if you disagree with them, you know, you're going to hell or whatever, you know, their particular viewpoint is. But to me, humility means realizing the limits of human knowledge. And I don't think that people really realize the limits of human knowledge. Science is a good example of the limits of human knowledge. Newtonian physics was the, the end all of physics. They thought they had discovered everything. Everything worked like a machine. But then it was completely turned upside down with quantum mechanics. And we found out, well, this isn't the last word in physics. In fact, the physical world is much more mysterious than we thought. And I think when we realize through our own experiences, if we learn from history, we really don't know that much. We're not as smart as we think we are. And if we come at uh, claims to knowledge, with that kind of attitude, I think there'll be room for diversity of opinion, for different perspectives, and for the ability to change your views with increasing light. I don't have all knowledge. I've been actually very good at being wrong. What I'm not very good at is being right. And that takes time, that takes patience, that takes going through the evidence and really weighing the evidence and saying, what does it say? Not what, what do I want it to say? But what does it actually say? And being honest and open to change our views just as quick and as fast as we receive increasing knowledge. And that, to me, is the trait of humility. Humility and dealing with claims and knowledge and what we really know. And I think, to me, that's where I look at it and I say, the larger my pool of knowledge, the greater my shores of ignorance. So the more I know the more I don't know. And I found that as a when I was first became religious when I was 19, I had a nickname that was called You're Wrong. I thought I had the answer to everything. <laughs> and now, you know, 40 years later, I realize I, I don't have the answer for very much. 
I know what I know, but I also know that there's so much out there to know, so many truths that we'll never see. And to have the humility to say that, to say there's much that I don't know. I think the four great words to any kind of spiritual path is I do not know. And that, to me, is the essence of humility. So can we call you by that nickname? <laughs> I, do not know. I do not know is what you can call me. Not the, just the, you're wrong. Very well That, that was Very really well uh, just so elegant, uh, What the way you phrased that. I, I love how you put all of that, Jay. Um, I, I, I haven't forgotten BT's question to me, and I think it kind of ties in with this. I like to say that I'm a naturalist not because I know, but because I don't know. I'm a naturalist not because I know there's nothing outside of the natural universe, but I'm a naturalist because that's what I do know, and I don't know anything else. So how am I going to base my spiritual practices or my spirituality off of what I don't know? I have to base it off of what I do know. And what I do know is just what my limited, like you said, the limits of human knowledge, my limited capacity to know however fallible it may be. And to answer your question, BT, um, the reason why I've kind of always addressed this or had some article somewhere that addressed it is because I know a lot of people who first come to spiritual naturalism, the one half of that phrase is the naturalism, and they wonder, well, what do you mean by this? Uh, you know, what are your beliefs about what exists and everything? And I think one of the things that I appreciate about spiritual naturalism is that we don't see our spirituality as a source of knowledge, unless to the degree that you incorporate, you know, scientific method and things like that into your, your spirituality. But we don't look at our spirituality as being some kind of peephole into the ultimate truths of the universe. But I think it's, it's actually the, the way to say it is uh, spiritual naturalism in the spirituality part doesn't answer the metaphysical question, the ontological, what exists. It doesn't answer that. It lets science answer that. What it does give you, it does tell you methods and practices to help you connect with nature, with your higher self, however you want to say it, and actually find happiness in this life. Yeah, yeah and let me jump in there, too. First of all, let's make sure that we're not making spirituality to something apart from everything else. I mean, science is spiritual, or at least it can be if it is to you, right? Uh, but... I think that the larger point that we're all making here is that the there isn't something apart from science and other evidential ways of learning that's giving some special privileged form of knowledge in the way that you would expect from uh, some uh, religious or kind of philosophical tradition that privileges revelation or psychic intuition or uh, scripture or something like that as a source of knowledge. I, I guess the question is, does... Uh, your spirituality give you any knowledge? Is there noetic, as uh, William James talked about? Is there noetic? Is there a knowledge quality to the spiritual experience? Well, I think that, uh, just as BT said, um, science can be a part of our spirituality, and it is a part of spirituality for 
for spiritual naturalists. You know, just in terms of inspiration, you've got examples like Carl Sagan who were incredibly gifted at taking the process and the, and the conducting of science and the products of science and showing through that lens the beauty and wonder and awe of the natural universe we occupy. And I think that coming to terms with, with our environment that we find ourselves in is part of dealing with life, and therefore it's part of the essential core of living well. And to me, that's what the spiritual is. It's the essential. And so, yes, very much so for a naturalist, this, the scientific method and science is a practice and the uh, wonders that are discovered through science are very inspirational and informative part of, of our spirituality. But the reason I like the way that we're approaching it here is that I think one very important thing that makes the spiritual naturalist approach the spiritual naturalist approach is that we approach the, the subject of skepticism or uh, critical inquiry, whatever you call it, we approach that as a spiritual practice. And I think that by putting it in those terms, that's why it ends up being about humility. Because when you practice something as a spiritual practice, what you're talking about is how can I grow and become a better, wiser, happier person by applying this wisdom in my life. And so so that in itself demands humility because it demands uh, self-reflection and it demands the acknowledgement that I don't know and I need to learn more. But it also directs it inward in the way that we're not using our uh, support of skeptical approaches or science as some sort of uh, instrument to criticize other people or their beliefs. Too often I think that people in our camp spend too much of their focus on telling other people everything they're doing wrong or everything they're thinking that's wrong, and we don't often enough look in the mirror and think, uh, you know, this is a practice I'm taking on for me. If others like the example and they see how it's working in my life, that can be a good way to help others. But I like kind of that self-work approach to it. And so that's why I like to take skeptical principles and uh, empirical principles, scientific principles, inquiry, uh, things like that, and put them in terms of personal virtues. And hopefully that comes across in the way we talk about these things and that we're expressing all of this in the, in the spirit of compassion and the spirit of humility and the spirit of just, you know, doing our thing and, and, and loving others no matter what their, their beliefs are. Yeah. I like how you put that, Daniel. It's, it's really about uh, a benefit for you in your own life and for the people around you and the kind of ripple effects that you can make that way. It's about how you live, how you embody your spirituality. So far we've been, I mean, until you said that, we've been discussing this at a pretty intellectual level. And for those listeners who uh, haven't tuned out already, uh, I think that's a real uh, clarion call here that I'm glad you brought up. So why don't we actually bring it down to that concrete level that you're talking about by maybe each of us giving an example of how this actually plays out in our lives, like maybe a concrete example 
Um, and I can go first. Uh, so when we're talking about, um, you know, on the abstract level, we've been talking about evaluating claims and how much we know and how certain we are. And so let's think about sending an email, <laughs> right? And uh, and I'm old enough to remember like email list serves, right? This is kind of a thing of the past now, but there used to be such a thing as you'd be on a list of a bunch of different people having a conversation by email, and sometimes they could get really heated, right? And no, this never happens on Facebook, but yeah, of course. So it's, it's still happening today, right? So we've got relevant examples today. Now, how this uh, topic plays into this is how many of us have had the experience where you read that other person's reply to the topic and you're like, immediately such a switch goes in your head. And you're like, oh, that guy. I, I gotta, it's like my civic duty to inform him that he's wrong now, right? <laughs> and you, you very, like, in a righteous way, type up this email, and your finger is on the button to hit send, right? How many of us have done that, hit the button, and like a second later, look back at what the person actually wrote, and you realize that actually you might have completely misunderstood what they were saying? That's something where you can apply humility in daily life, where you've got to incorporate a mindset that includes the possibility of you being wrong, which implies the behavior of asking yourself to double-check, to triple-check what the other person is meaning, give them the benefit of the doubt, question yourself, and include that in the most mundane of actions in your life, such as sending an email. That's a great example. Yeah, I think that uh, I've had similar experiences because early on in my Internet days, I was also a lot less mindful about those kinds of things. And I found that eventually the way people were responding to me in these arguments, because I I would get into these intellectual arguments where I kind of just didn't care about the emotional stuff. I just said stuff, and (laughs) I didn't realize how I was coming across. And so I could tell by the reactions that I was getting that, these people seem to think I'm a very different kind of person than I think I am. <laughs> so then it made me think that maybe I'm not like I think I am. And uh, that's that sort of kind of started my examination of how I communicate online. And for me, uh, it was not only that after you hit send, you see you misunderstood, but sometimes it's even worse. Sometimes you hit send and you realize, well, I understood, and maybe technically I'm right on those points and everything, except now I'm starting to realize that for me what was an academic matter is for them something really impactful to their state of mind and their well-being and their happiness. And uh, and I'm not a proponent that happiness is more important than truth, but I think that whenever we get into a conversation with other people, we have to ask ourselves, what is the real motivation here behind what I'm doing? Am I just pushing my ego? Do I just have to be right? Uh, am I just looking for the satisfaction of having corrected someone? Or is there something, do I really have a pure motivation behind that? And when you do, I think it shows in how you communicate. I think it's very easy for us to rationalize to ourselves, well, you know, it was good enough that I was right because truth helps people. (laughs) But it's not good enough that it's true. 
as far as we know. <laughs> That's not even talking about the maybe we're wrong. But it's, to me, and, and this is another reason why I come at this with the humility angle, is because what I realized is that logic and rationality, reason, to me is secondary to compassion. And if you just think about the logic of it, it has to be, because the reason we care about reason is because of the good it does for people and the, the harm that it can help us avoid. So that means there's a more primal kind of core value underneath which that sits. And if that's true, then it would behoove us to behave in that way and really put compassion first. And my hope is that in some small part of what we're doing here, it helps to promote that concept that in such a way to where when someone interacts with a spiritual naturalist, a practicing spiritual naturalist who's trying to make progress, that it will show in the way that they deal with other people, that other people will feel their humility, they will feel their concern for the person they're talking with in their uh, and that sort of thing. And um, hopefully that's a kind of a, a new naturalism that we can help to flourish as, as much as we're able to in our small corner of things. <laughs> what do you think, Jay? Well, I think when we come to what we're talking about is what Buddhists call right speech or wise speech, as I like to prefer to call it. Wise speech means the purpose of our speaking is to try to help people better view reality get a clearer vision of the problem they're in and how to get out of it. And the only way that they're going to receive that is by us being open enough to actually communicate with them as they are. That means to really understand where they're coming from, which means active listening. Many times when we're talking to somebody and they're speaking, we're thinking about how we're going to respond, and we're not thinking about what do they actually mean by their words. Because, unfortunately, I find that at least 80 to 90% of the conversations that I've gotten in the past and the arguments have been about words that they didn't mean what I thought they were meaning with the words they were using. And it's like I actually sat down when I was in, in went through Bible college and stuff like that. I sat down and was reading the dictionary, so I knew what the word meant, but they weren't using it that way, you know. So it's yeah. frustrating because people use the same word in many different ways. And we see that just the word spiritual, for an example. People can mean such a wide diversity of meanings behind the word spiritual that a lot of naturalists don't want to use the word spiritual or religious or any of those connotations because of what it means in someone else's head. Right. And so when you're listening to somebody, actively listening, you're not just listening for words. You're listening for how they're using the words and the emotions behind the words because you're talking about how you would just say stuff and then you'd realize, whoa, this really hurt them. This really impacted them. This really devastated them, discouraged them. And if you do that with the words that we speak, then what's going to happen is they're not going to receive them. So it's going to be you've just wasted your time. Yeah. The whole reason that we share things with other people is so that they can hear it, receive it, and help themselves become better people, happier people, less stressed out, less frustrated, um, less suffering. Well, we have about a minute left. 
I, I think also that that's a great point, and I think also that they need to see, and it needs to really be true, that we're not looking at ourselves as some sort of source of truth that they need to come and feed off of, it, but it's a, a, a conversation of equals. So uh, anything you guys want to say before I wrap things up and get to our announcements? Well, I think that maybe to put a capstone on some of the brilliant ideas that both of you guys just shared with us, um, the ancient Greek philosopher Heraclitus has a little aphorism that's it's translated in different ways, but it's often translated as character is destiny. And I think in this case that proves true. Because no matter how true, quote-unquote, or how well-reasoned your words may be, what people are listening to, like 80% of what they're really listening to is your character, how it comes across, your motivations in saying those words, your Mm -hmm. feelings as you say those words. And if it's not coming from the right place, if it's not coming from a place of compassion, if it's not coming from a place of humility, if it's not coming from a place of trying to establish relation with the other person, they're not going to hear the message. And I think that's I think that's really what both of you were trying to say. And that's that's what I really treasure for what you just said. Well thanks. I uh I appreciate that. I really uh love what you guys said too. I can't wait to listen to this podcast again, actually. Uh anything you want to close up with, uh Jay? One of my favorite sayings is let my words be sweet, for tomorrow I may have to eat them. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Okay, well, let me uh, go ahead and get to the announcements I mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, that's all, t- all the time we have for our topic today. But to our listeners, um, please let us know what you think in the comments section on the episodes page uh, for this episode on our website. So here's the announcements. First, we are about to release our latest book, Exploring Spiritual Naturalism Year Two, an anthology of articles from the Spiritual Naturalist Society. That's the full big name. Uh, it will be available through Amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles Online, and of course through our website at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. If you are a supporting member of the society, please don't forget that you can get the paperback at cost and the ebook for free. Just contact us and let us know. To stay informed of the release, please join the Society to get our newsletter, subscribe, or follow us on Facebook. And then the second announcement I have, our first ever online course, SNS 101, Introduction to Spiritual Naturalism, is just now wrapping up. The next offering for this course will begin November 1st and uh, go to the 29th. You can pre-register to reserve your spot, space is limited, and learn more about the course, what it includes, and everything at our website. So that's our program for today. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider becoming a member of the society. You can make a donation. Thank you for listening, and please join us next time. This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and join our community at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemisrud. J.N. Forrest is our technical director, and Daniel Strain is program director. Our hosts are Daniel, Jay, and B.T. Newberg. Please share our program with others and join us next time on Spiritual Naturalism Today. Today.